0: now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stand Up for the Truth,
1: and uh, we're just thankful for another day. We're going to pray in just a minute, but God put uh, some scriptures on my heart this morning before I uh, open up the program, and we will be talking to an in-studio guest, local pastor, and about Revelation, the seven letters to the churches. But in Philippians chapter 1, Starting in verse 27 it says only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation you and this too from God verse 29 for to you it, ha- it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer on his behalf experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me that's Philippians chapter 1 27 through 30 a little perspective there um, we're going to talk a lot not a lot a little bit today uh, about the American church and uh, problems with the abundant life, best life now, Uh, bless me Lord, Uh, it's all about me theology, Um, and we're going to talk about how Jesus addressed some of the churches in Asia Minor uh, at that time, and we're also going to talk a little bit about um, wrapping up our uh, truth in media um, before we open up with our guest, but Father, thank you for giving us another day. Thank you, God, for saving us and for the truth of your word. Just these scriptures that we were able to hear uh, just a minute ago, it encourages our heart, Lord, that your word refreshes us. It, it restores us, and I know it renews our minds, so we pray in Jesus' name that we would have refreshed hearts and spirits and renewed minds, and we would be uh, grounded in your word, rooted, as scripture teaches rooted down deep in your words so that nothing will shake us we thank you for the faith that we have we love you lord we look forward to celebrating this resurrection season in a, a couple of weeks and we just thank you for this time of life that you've given us an opportunity to love you to serve you to be salt and light in this culture in this country and our friends from around the world lord bless your church strengthen those believers that are being persecuted and uh, give them an extra measure of grace today. And we lift up this time to you, as always, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're, wel- we're thankful to have back with us Pastor Kevin Minsky, He's a pastor of a small church with a big heart. And I love churches like that. Uh, Christ the Rock Church in Deep Here, Wisconsin. Not the Pier, but mm. Deep Here. And uh, Kevin's going through the book of Revelation. Brother, thank you for coming back in the studio.
2: Well, thank you, David. I appreciate it.
1: All right. We'll get to um, your. Comments in a minute on some of these stories. Um, but first, I want to finish up something from yesterday. I apologize for those of you that, that uh, were listening yesterday if you thought I got a little heated or angry. Yeah, I guess I admit that I was partially angry at the lack of um, fairness and integrity of the news media. Um, I'm frustrated, as many of you are. Uh, you've got to really, really be discerning and look hard to get the truth. But just I'm looking at two articles here um, on Facebook. They're, they are now apparently going to try to dispel myths on their platform to provide context to posts about climate change. So we know where they stand. We know the, the direction that's going. Another one here. If, by the way, if you still go to Snopes, the liberal progressive uh, supposedly fact checking website, stop it. This article says, Snopes' article says, creationism, quote, bears all the hallmarks of a conspiracy theory. So if you believe in the Bible, what the Bible says about creation, Genesis 1, Genesis 1 through 11, really how the world got started, how civilization began. So that's a conspiracy theory. So don't trust Snopes. Trust in the Word of God. One more thing before we get to Pastor Kevin. I'm because of the problems in the media today and our one-party liberal activist media in America. I'm gonna just going to go through our our list of links, news, current events, commentary, links for Christians and conservatives. I'm just going to go through the A's today and we'll, we'll, we'll post this eventually. Um, accuracy in media. These are recommended links for Christians and conservatives, independents, Republicans, Libertarians who want the truth. Accuracy in Media, Act for America, Act 17, Apologetics, that's David Wood, Alex Newman, The Newman Report, Allie Beth Stuckey, she's a great blogger, she's with The Blaze TV, Elisa Childers, American Center for Law and Justice, ACLJ, The American Conservative, American Family Association, that's AFA.net, American Thinker, Andy Woods Ministries, we have him on almost monthly. Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. Behold Israel, that's Amir Sarfati. Uh, Oh, I'm already into the Bs. Ben Shapiro, Berean Call, we'll pick up on those next week. But I want to start going through these to share with you so you know where you can get good information. So, Pastor Kevin. Yes. We've had over a year of the Rona now. Mm And (laughs) it's divided uh, the country but it also divides churches. But let's talk about pastors and churches being discriminated against. And I want to get your take on this. There's a story, uh, one of the many. Uh, here's the Idaho churchgoers are now suing the police in this city government after being arrested for not wearing masks. I think this was, I think, at some point last year. Um, and that not wearing, wearing masks and social distancing outside. So the pastor was arrested uh, this was in Moscow. It's in the United States, Moscow, Idaho.
2: Appropriate. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's interesting, right? And so th- this, this is now the town of about 25,000 people. Uh, they're south of Spokane, Washington. But there were about 300 people assembled outdoors to sing psalms. And apparently they went from their church down to City Hall, and they were just singing, worshiping. And I saw the video. The pastor and a couple others were handcuffed, while they were singing Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor Kevin, um, we've seen some things in America that we never thought we would see with our Constitution, the law of the land. We never thought we'd see this in our lifetime. Pastors being fined, Steve Smotherman, New Mexico, fined for having Christmas Eve services, California, limits on how many people they're allowed to have, and and the list goes on. We haven't really had a lot of issues like that from our Uh, Emperor Evers here in uh, Wisconsin. What are your thoughts on what pastors and churches are going through? And just when the government says you have to do this, from a church and our calling as the body of Christ, what's your take on that?
2: Well, we begin from the perspective of Scripture. We know that our ultimate enemy is Satan himself. We know that we're not not ignorant to his schemes, and his scheme would be ultimately to shut down fellowships. Mm -hmm. He hates the church of God. He hates truth being disseminated. So he wants to close up the fellowships. So pastors have to make a determination, and we have to be forward-looking. We have to anticipate those schemes of the enemy and say, okay, if he comes down, let's, for example, next week and arrest me, take me out of the pulpit, is someone in the wings ready to step into that pulpit the next week, and the week after, and the week after? Mm. Do you have a plan in place if they physically come, to, come in and want to shut down churches? Do you have home fellowships already established with leaders in these particular homes where people are going to meet? All these things are things we never had to think about before, but we do now. We're watchmen on a wall, like Ezekiel would talk about. Mm. And like Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, a shepherd, poimen in the Greek, you have to be in the sheep pen first of all, but then you also have have to be ready. Uh, to have, like I said, those people in place, but you have to be ready and willing to count the cost, and that means being willing to be arrested mm-hmm. if you're standing up for the truth.
1: Good advice. I think um, take that to heart, everybody, because we don't know what's going to happen. Um, even if the Rona goes away, and apparently uh, the flu is evaporated for for the last year, but even if the Rona goes away, um, they'll find something else. the 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 globalist push in America and the deep state in our government and the radical left, and the power they have that's concerning in a nation like ours with a constitution like ours, something else will come. We don't know what it might be. We we never thought a health concern or a health crisis would cause the government or give the government power under emergency orders to shut down churches, businesses, to limit what we can do and say. As Christians, as as freedom-loving Americans, so we never thought we'd be here. So that's good advice. If if you haven't uh, uh, talked to your pastor about this, maybe do that. Maybe they're they're not thinking ahead proactively. You need to prepare, pastor. If you are going to stand up and say no, we are told to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Mm-hmm. We yes. are to worship. We cannot lay hands on people on the sick. We cannot pray. We cannot have communion together. We cannot do the things. Many of the things the church is called to do at home watching a video. That's impossible. That's not the church. So, the church is the body of believers. The church means group, assembly, ecclesia. We cannot do that. So, if your pastor is going to stand up to a potential governor or mayor's orders, you've got to have, like you said, Pastor Kevin, you've got someone waiting in the wings. I think that's excellent advice. That's being proactive. And so, encourage your pastor if uh, he's going to be standing up and wanting to uh, stand, let the church be the church. Um, So, Kevin, thank you for that. I think we all need to be a little bit more proactive because we don't know what's going to happen, but we know who our faith is in.
2: Yeah, one more exhortation would be directly to the shepherds, to the pastors out there. You have to make the determination today how you're going to respond when that sword is raised over your neck. Hmm. You can't make that decision on that day. Hmm. You have to determine today what am I willing to give up for the cause of Christ and for the kingdom's sake? So again, if you're a shepherd, you're willing to take on that wolf when he comes for the sheep. You have to uh, you have to defend the the flock like God has called us to do. Mm-hmm. That's a heavy determination. So, you know, the people out in the in the chairs and the pews, you have to be praying for your shepherds, and the shepherds have to really be determined in this day and age. There is a cost that's going to be counted.
1: Yes. Um- We're going to get to Revelation in the next segment. You've been going through the book. You're in chapters 2 and 3, going through the letters to the churches. And um, as our listeners well know, five of those seven letters are rebukes from the Lord Jesus to his churches. And um, let's just give people a little sneak peek into that, Pastor Kevin. About when were those letters written to the churches? How long have they been established? Was it... Fifty years, hundred years, because that's very mm-hmm. interesting on how, in that short amount of time, the ch- the most of the churches had to
2: be rebuked. Right. Well, John was given this; uh, he's given the Revelation when he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and it was roughly ninety five A.D. So, if you wow, figure, yeah, you're looking about fifty years after uh, the church was born, um, and again. This was—it's uh, a direct revelation given to Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Him, mm-hmm. then for Him to give to His churches through John. So,
1: um, very amazing that only 50 years—it just takes a generation, doesn't it? Exactly. That we can learn that from the Book of Judges, right? Remember Joshua? They were all standing strong, and they were following Joshua, and they were true to the word. And then when Joshua died, and though the elders who were alive during Joshua, they were still. Uh, hanging on to the word and to, and, to, and to the Lord God, but then when they died, one of the saddest portions of portions of Scripture is Judges chapter two or Judges one, uh, where it says, and maybe it is Judges chapter two, another generation arose that did not know the Lord their God and did not follow Him. Yes, it just takes a generation to so to hear that 50
2: years. Um, well, the same thing happened with the nation of Israel. You know, mm-hmm. they gained their really their power under King David, and then it was under Solomon they they were at their peak. But then his son Rehoboam, the kingdom was divided. It was split after that, and they were never the same after that. So immorality.
1: Yes, um, Kevin. Before we uh, mention a couple stories here that were concerning, um, yeah, you mentioned before we get into Revelation two and three, which churches in Asia Minor at the time, um, you have some insights on the Middle East and how that applies to Bible prophecy and what we're going to be talking about in the next segment. I'd please share because we've been so much into uh, culture and government and what's happening in the nation uh, with the churches and everything. We have not uh, had the chance to talk about the Middle East as much as I would like to. So please share some of your thoughts.
2: Well, one of the things that was noticeable during the, especially the last three years of the Trump administration, was the the uh, silence that was going on in the Middle East. Mm. That's because things were really kept under control to a large degree. Uh, the sanctions on Iran that pretty much limited what they could do. Um, and ever since the, you know, ever since the Biden administration was inaugurated, in very suddenly you had a. Uh, a drone attack from Yemen, which is just to the south of Saudi Arabia, into Saudi Arabia. And you mm. would think, well, why would one Muslim nation attack another one? Yemen's a failed state. Where did they even get that kind of technology to begin with? And it was just uh, released last week that they've examined those, the pieces of those drone strikes on those oil fields, and they came from Iran. Wow. So, <laughs> so here you start tracing the, uh, the path. Iran's funneling through the south, through the Gulf. Uh, weapons to Yemen because they want to destabilize Saudi Arabia. Why would they want to do that again? They're both Muslim nations. Well, Iran is Shiite Muslim. They're radical. And Saudi Arabia is Sunni Muslim. They're they're more moderate. So you see what, what the House of Saud is doing with Israel. They're trying to establish peace with them. Now the Biden administration wants to kind of nix all those peace accords that were on the table, the UAE peace accord and other things going on there. Now the bottom line is all these are players in what we call the Armageddon scenario. Hmm. Russia at the head of it, Iran is the big player, but the third one is Turkey. And Turkey's a NATO country, so they are supposedly our ally. Yeah. They're the largest military in NATO, and yet since President Erdogan took power, they're really moving from a secular democracy, which is what their constitution calls for, more into a, a again establishing Sharia law. They're becoming much more militant in terms of Islam and they're persecuting Christians there at an unprecedented rate, and they are also going into uh, Syria, of course, and they're destabilizing Syria. So they've got that whole region wrapped up in a circle around mm. Israel.
1: Wow. Um, how We know it's important. for um, Now, I'm not being selfish here, but I'm just saying it is important for America to support Israel, and it goes back to Genesis um mm-hmm. Uh, Genesis was it 3, no, Genesis 11, 12, 12. Genesis 12. Yeah. God will bless those who so bless, bless Israel you. and curse those who curse you, he said. And referring to Israel, right. um, we now have an administration like the Obama-Biden years um, that is going to be, well, I, I'll put it lightly, not supporting our greatest ally. What are, what are your concerns mm-hmm. about that?
2: Well, the concerns there are huge. Um when you he in fact Biden said uh, just this week that he wants to go back to the original 1949 borders and you know if you do that you're taking away the land the covenant promise that God has established with Israel so you're really poking your finger in God's eyes there and wow we are going to be uh, we're going to be under judgment for those kinds of decisions but um, far-reaching effects with that of course
1: um, I was surpri- were you surprised at all we just have a minute and a half left here in this first segment were you surprised at all how How much President Trump supported Israel and how, what, it just amazed. Moving the embassy, Mm -hmm. U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, were you surprised? Because I think a lot of us were.
2: Well, he had made comments about that even prior to the election, although he didn't get a lot of press coverage about it. Mm. Um, He had people speaking into his life, it seems, on, on the peripheral level about spiritual things, and it seemed to resonate with him. So, I'm not totally surprised, but ultimately, I believe that was God's sovereignty. God was giving us a four-year moratorium as Mm. a nation to repent. Moratorium, I like that. Yeah, moratorium on judgment.
1: Mm. So um, we're going to talk about, when we come back from this break, one more story before we get into the book of Revelation, which you're going through with your church. Um, First of all, one of um, the new administration policies, a historic first, another one, the Senate confirmed transgender official to a key post his name is Rachel Levine, or Levine, and he is now officially uh, in the administration as the uh, HHS, uh, is it? yeah, uh, he's a health secretary. So this is just sad, what we're seeing happening in our own government. But we, we're not surprised by it, because these policies, of course, we knew what where Biden stood on these things. But when we come back, before we jump into Revelation, we've got something that we need to mention about the Pope who recently said, Mary, is the bridge to God, not Jesus. We'll talk about that
0: with Pastor Kevin Minsky in just a minute on Stand Up for the Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of standupforthetruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: Disturbing story, but not surprising knowing how Pope Francis uh, sees things and his worldview. Um, sometimes he seems to speak out of both sides of his mouth, especially on social issues, quote-unquote. But uh, when the Reformers held that the Pope of Rome um, as the Antichrist, it, it, <laughs> this is very interesting now. Um, the office of Pope, according to Roman Catholic dogma, has always been regarded as the representative office of Christ on earth. They refer to him as the vicar of, of Christ, which is diametrically opposed to the teachings of Scripture. But nothing could be more clear in Scripture than this. Christ sits at the right hand of God. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think in 1 Timothy it says, there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that would be Christ Jesus. Amen. But the Roman Catholic Church's, um, well, I'm calling it blasphemy, um, is, is actually, they're out in the open about their statements now, which is surprising. I'm sure it's divided many people in that church because the Bible, even the Catholic Bible, still says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But let me share with you, you think I'm making this up, friends, if you haven't heard of this story. March 25th, was that yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. The Pope, he didn't do this, but from his official Twitter account, Pope Francis, tweeted this. Mary is not only the bridge joining us to God, she is more. She is the road that God traveled to reach us. And the road that we must travel in order to reach Him. So he's saying Mary is the road to... To God, and God traveled that road, the road of Mary, to reach humanity? Mary is not the bridge to God, friends. Jesus is the only sacrifice and substitute, the only bridge between a holy God and sinful man. Pastor Kevin, your thoughts on this? It's out in the open. They're tweeting it, and I don't get it.
2: One of the hallmarks of any cult is to deny the deity of Jesus Christ and, and him being the only way of salvation. That's clearly what these types of comments, these types of church dogma do. They try to elevate Mary to a redemptric status. And as you quoted 1 Timothy 2, there is one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Jesus Christ. Mary did not die for my sins or anyone else's sins. She couldn't. Uh, when the ladies said to Jesus in the Gospels, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Jesus said, no, rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So mm. we have to be careful about trying to elevate anyone else to that status of Jesus Christ. And by the way, even a church itself, membership in the church does not save you either. It's entrusting yourself through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sins. That's the only thing.
1: So church membership doesn't save... Only Jesus saves. Also, baptism doesn't save. Exactly. And you're having a baptism service this Sunday We your are. church, aren't
2: you? Yes, we're having nine people baptized on wow. Sunday. And as you said, you know, there's other mainline denominations that teach being baptized as an infant. Well, uh, they'll establish your place in the kingdom of heaven. Mm-mm. And again, that's uh, that's blasphemy. If so, then why did Jesus have to die?
1: Yeah. So baptism does not save. Um, let's jump into Revelation now as you're going through that at your church Um, let's go to, unless you want to start somewhere else, but Smyrna and Revelation chapter two, right after Ephesus, um, some interesting words here in Revelation two. Um, the one that jumps out at me, verse nine says, and this is Jesus speaking to the church, to the, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, telling John to write this to that church. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander by those who say they are Jews, and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And then it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison so that you will be tested. And then it goes on. Just share some of your insights that you've been uh, teaching and uh, researching as you're going through this at your church, Kevin.
2: Sure. First thing I would say is, You'd have to ask yourself, why do so many churches avoid teaching the book of Revelation? There's 404 verses in Revelation, and of those 404 verses, there's over 400 direct allusions that define these types and symbols, but they're in the Old Testament. So many pastors, many churches avoid this subject, number one, because there's an unfamiliarity with the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. If you're raised, again, not to poke fingers at the Catholic Church, but if you're if you're in the Catholic Church, you're taught not to read the Bible at all because you can't understand it. <laughs> if you've come from the Lutheran church, you're taught just read the New Testament because we're in a New Testament age. Therefore, mm-hmm. you're not reading the Old Testament. You're severely limiting your understanding of Scripture. God has given us the entire Bible as his revelation, as mm-hmm. his revealing of who Jesus Christ is, because everything in it points to Jesus Christ. So first of all, there's mm-hmm. that issue. Mm-hmm. Then we come to these letters to the seven churches. Uh, Smyrna is a unique thing because it ties directly with the church at Philadelphia. Both suffered persecution, Smyrna suffered persecution from the world. Philadelphia is is going to be removed from the tribulation that's going to come upon the whole earth that is initiated by God. So the church at Smyrna does go through a a short time of testing, of trial, it's referred to as ten days. That's a limited amount of time that's under God's sovereign control. That church. It's being persecuted by what's called there the synagogue of Satan. That same phrase is used in that church of Philadelphia. So mm. that's that linkage there as well. Paul, when he established the churches in Asia Minor, he was hounded repeatedly from Jews from Jerusalem. They're called the Judaizers, saying you still had to follow the Old Testament law. That's fine if you want to accept Christ. That's one of the references to that synagogue of Satan. Mm-hmm, interesting. But there's a modern-day um, understanding of that as well. And again, it goes back to denominational churches, and it's called replacement theology. Those churches that try to teach the church has replaced Israel and and is now under those covenant promises of God. That's heresy as well. God is going to reestablish Israel as his witnesses to the world in the tribulation. And that's a measure of his grace, but also a measure of his consistency. His promises will not be undone.
1: In, isn't it in Zechariah? I'm thinking 14, uh, where it's, it's Zechariah 13. Um, it, it does say they will look on him. Two thirds of them are going oh, to yeah. mm-hmm. are going to suffer. Right. Uh, one third will be saved. Is that right? Did I get that right? One third, and so one third mm-hmm. of the the chosen of, of Israel will be saved. And uh, I'll let you just share your thoughts Correct. on
2: that. Right. In the uh, in the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, one third of all Jews. Were, were executed, lost their lives, in the tribulation, two-thirds, wow. a, as it says in Zechariah. Wow. So there is going to be a remnant there, but it's even worse for the Gentiles, for the, those who come to Christ during that time. If you don't receive the mark, you're going to lose your life for that. You're not going to be able to take part in the economy. You can't buy, sell, and trade. Hmm. If there aren't people to support you underground, as it were, you're not going to make it, but you will make it in eternity. So you want to make that choice today. You don't want to wait until that time.
1: I know uh, this isn't in Revelation 2 and 3, but you brought up the mark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think, boy. I think Kevin, I think we need to talk about that because this issue with vaccines is a controversial issue in the church, and this issue of vaccine passports, do I need to be vaccinated before I can move around, before I can travel? Uh, the, this is somewhat prophetic, we're, these times we're living in, what's happening with with, uh, if, if that is not the mark of the beast, though, let's be clear. But your thoughts on that, on how uh, mm-hmm. people are, sure. Christians are concerned about
2: this? That's a very common question I get. There's a simple answer, uh, and it's this you cannot, you cannot unknowingly take the mark of the beast. If people are taking a vaccine, they're thinking it's a vaccine. They're not swearing direct allegiance to some false uh, Messiah, That's some right. false deliverer. That's so right. the vaccines are not, in and of themselves, the mark of the beast. There will be a time when you will very clearly be called upon to swear your allegiance to a one-world leader who is declaring himself to be the the deliverer of the world. It's not going to be Jesus Christ. It's going to be this construct of Satan who's going to establish the one-world government, one-world religious system, one-world economy, and that is taking the mark of the beast. It'll be very conscious, and it's a direct choice. That's why there's no coming back from it.
1: There's no coming back from the mark. It's a willful decision. Yes. Um, let's be very clear on that. Because there's I just don't understand how there's any confusion over something like that and that that's not the mark. But um, so are you concerned at all with that's an infringement on our freedoms in America. We are so blessed to have a constitution and the law of the land that we do and the Bill of Rights. And yet there are loopholes. And we've seen this loophole with government using emergency orders to limit what we can do, to tell us what we can do, how we can do it, when we can do it. And that includes worship, which we talked about a little bit in the first segment beginning of the podcast, our church services. Um, This may or may not affect the ability to buy and sell, like you mentioned, in the end times, which we're living in the last days right now. These are the last days. Mm -hmm. Um, it's It's a period of time. Uh, that no one can say how short or long it is. This we're in it, but are you concerned about where we will be as far as them saying, "All right, now you you need to do this in order to do business," because that's prophetic.
2: Well, that's exactly the point. It, things go incrementally; they don't come in overnight and say, "Okay, the whole economy is shut down unless you take this mark." It's like the vaccines. Okay, well, you're not going to be able to travel this year because you haven't taken the vaccine. Next year, what is it going to be? You're not going to be able to go to public places in America because you haven't taken a vaccine. You're not going to be able to go to schools. You're not going to be, you know, whatever it may be. They implement these things incrementally. If you look back in your mind's eye to a year ago, again, as you said earlier, David, you would never have imagined America would look like it does today Mm -mm. compared to a year ago. But that's what Jesus even said— we talk about revelation, these things are going to happen quickly. The word is in taxi in the Greek. We get our word tachometer from it. It means suddenly or rapidly. Once it begins, it's going to be like a snowball going downhill. There's going to be no stopping it. You go from 10,000 RPMs to 50,000 RPMs in a split second. So that's where we're at. These things are not things people tried to say, well, after a year of COVID, it's going to get back to quote unquote normal. No, things are going to rapidly continue to move in this direction. We need to be ready.
1: And that's part of our biblical worldview is, if we are rooted and grounded in the Word, we will not fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Whatever happens in the future is going to happen. But God is sovereign. This life is but a vapor. And I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier in um, Revelation 2. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, this is not to say that all Christians right now, living right now, are going to suffer. But... It's coming. Discrimination is already here. Um, persecution is here, it's mildly in America. We are the anomaly in the world. We are an exception in the world when it comes to how societies and governments react toward the faith of God in Christianity and our Christian principles and the Bible. We have the freedoms here that we take for granted, but it's not that we are not the norm by any stretch. So it says, "Don't fear what you are about to suffer." The devil is about to throw some of you in prison so that you will be tested. You will have tribulation. And then it says in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse um, 10, the second part, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Can you uh, wrap up that Message to that church, Kevin.
2: Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Again, the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia; those are the only two of the seven that had nothing bad said about them by Jesus Christ. Two had nothing good said. Two had nothing bad said. The church that suffered persecution was the closest church to Jesus Christ. Mm. The one that was enduring suffering for His name's sake, and that goes into again, then to that church at Philadelphia. Jesus promised, again, it's that synagogue of Satan element in chapter 3, verse 9. I know your deeds. I know you have a little power. He says, you have not denied my word or my name. Mm. Now, that's the exact age we're living in. Are we going to compromise the word of God to get along with society, to get along with government, to get along with our neighbors? Or are we going to maintain that standard of truth? And there is a standard of truth, John seventeen, seventeen. his word. Or are we going to compromise that word, and then worse, deny His name? Is Jesus Christ the only means of salvation? Is the only is He the only way to God the Father? That's the choice that we're rapidly approaching, and when we reach this ecumenical age in our country and in our world.
1: Interesting how the church has changed so much in the American church. Um, Kevin, I don't want to get too far off track because I want to mention where Satan has his throne. We're going to get to that. But I do want to ask you before we have to wrap up this segment in a few minutes, um, your concerns about how much in America we have strayed to um, what we can call American Christianity rather than biblical Christianity. For example, in the 1980s, the church growth movement. The emergent church, seeker-sensitive, trying to appeal to the world. When you try to appeal to the world to attract the world, most churches have used worldly means to do that. Entertainment. Unfortunately, some churches confuse entertainment with worship. I've seen it on Sunday mornings, and you just shake your head and go, wait a minute, if I want to go to a rock concert or go see a drama or a play, I, I can do that, I can pull that up on My uh, Mm -hmm. laptop, I can go to the theater. But we are trying to attract the world. And then what do you do once you bring the world in? You can't give them the hard truths of Scripture. Mm. You can't preach the
2: whole counsel of God because it will offend them. Your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Mm. If we preach the true gospel, people are going to be offended. They're going to be challenged. But prayerfully, they're going to be challenged to search their heart And confess the fact that they're sinners in need of a Savior and that there's no way unto the Father but through Jesus Christ. Because that's what he said. You can't come unto me unless the Father draws you and you can't get to the Father but through me. That is the gospel message of today. It's not having your best life now. It's not healing your marriage. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. Amen. It is about the fact that I'm a sinner Mm -hmm. and I need a Savior. And I can't save myself. Mary can't save me. The church can't save me. Baptist. So we're back to that issue. We, it, it's part of the social gospel. It's part of the, the new woke church movement. Anything Satan can do to get people right next to the gate of heaven, but then have them miss out, he's going to try to do. And that's where we're at now. It's the confusion of the gospel message. So don't deny his word and don't deny his name. Mm.
1: We've got a minute and a half left, Pastor Kevin. I'm just going to tease this next segment. We are talking about... Uh, The books of the uh, letters to the churches in Revelation two and three, and we're going to talk about where Satan's throne is without giving away the church. We mentioned it earlier, but in this uh, book on the letters to the churches, there's a quote. There is a museum. The I can't even mention the city because you're going to know. But there was something that was shipped to the city of Berlin, Germany. One of the many visitors to this museum. Was Albert Speer, Adolf Hitler's chief architect, and later was the Reich Minister of Armaments and War Production for Nazi Germany. Inspired by the Grand Altar of Zeus, Speer designed an immense parade ground and grandstand to showcase the strength of the Third Reich and to spotlight its leader, Adolf Hitler. What did they bring there? Well, we're going to talk about that the extraordinary achievements of German archaeology during the years of the empire. we are talking about that with Pastor Kevin Minsky when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth, Revelation 2 and 3. Keep it right here.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: Our guest, Pastor Kevin Minsky. We're talking about the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, to John, written down, and it's provided there for us, and the only book in the Bible that we are blessed when we read and heed the words in it. Um, Let's talk about this uh, history, going back to chapter 11 of Genesis. You wanted to take us through this progression, Kevin, before we talk about where Satan has his throne, as it is quoted in Revelation 2.13.
2: Yes, in Revelation 2.13, as you said, the church at Pergamum, Uh, In two different places in that section, it talks about where Satan's throne is, and Jesus also said, where Satan dwells. Mm. And that should get you thinking, well, does Satan have an actual literal place on this earth? Remember, he's a created being. He's limited by time and space. He's not omniscient and omnipresent. So he can't be everywhere. So when he is not roaming to and fro about the earth, he's got to set up camp somewhere. If you think back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 11, we have the account of the Tower of Babel. These were not a bunch of hicks who were trying to build a tower thinking they could literally reach God. This was an astrological temple of worship. Mm-hmm. It's what we refer to as the seat of the ancient Babylonian mystery religion. Now, it's interesting, if you trace that through Scripture, you'll get to Zechariah 5, 5-11, through 11, which talks about the fact that, the ecumenical one world religious system will migrate back there in the tribulation wow. okay so this is something that can be traced all through scripture so Satan's original throne was at the Tower of Babel man was supposed to disperse throughout the earth according to God's command but instead Nimrod the first world dictator the type of Antichrist was to come said let's you know, we don't want to be scattered about the earth let's build this a tower here make a name for ourselves and you look at that word name in that letter of that church of Pergamum as well there's a linkage there so Satan's first throne is in Babel the plain of Shinar now if you would consider a map that's just to the north of the seat of ancient civilization where the Garden of Eden was between the Tigris and Euphrates River Babylon is just to the north so he sets up his camp there so he can infect God's truth at the very beginning of civilization later on When you look at Ezekiel chapter 28, there's a literal description of who Satan is. The beginning of the chapter talks about the prince of Tyre, the city of Tyre. Hmm. Then halfway through the chapter, it switches and said, and to you, the king of Tyre. He describes him as the one who was in Eden. He walked amongst the stones of God. He was perfect in beauty. He ascended, tried to ascend to the throne of God. It's literally, it's clearly talking about Satan himself. Well, what's the implication? His seat at that point was in the city of Tyre. That's on the coast of that Mediterranean Sea, but it's just to the north of Israel. Interesting. Once again, he sets up his literal kingdom on earth just to the north of God's people. And that was in the time of Israel. Now when the church is born on the day of Pentecost, it migrates into Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and you look at where Pergamum is, it is the northernmost city of the seven churches. Well, once again, Satan sets up his throne to the north, of where God is trying to establish his truth, those seven churches with the gospel message. So when we talk about Satan's throne, it is now in John's days, he records Revelation, literally in the city of Pergamum. Now, if you go to that city, it's a split city. Up on the hillside, there's a thousand feet up, there was what was referred to as the Temple to Zeus, or the Altar of Zeus. Yeah. That was literally the seat of Satan's throne. It's built, it looks like a big armchair, actually, if you look at it, but it's massive, it's huge, made out of granite. What was interesting about it is, in uh, the late 1800s, it was discovered, the uh, ruins were unearthed. In the early 1900s, Hitler actually had that thing dismantled piece by piece and brought to Berlin, a museum was built on what's called Museum Island. It's still there in Berlin to this day, the Museum of Pergamos. That altar was reconstructed. Now, if you think about Germany's history in the 20, 21st century, what really happened through there? Well, they basically initiated World War I. They went through hyperinflation in the 30s and millions died. Hitler rises to power in the late 30s. They initiate World War II. Now, you talk about Satan's throne. Um, And what's interesting to me is Christians routinely gather there at that museum, and they pray. They pray that Turkey takes that altar back.
1: Mm. This is fascinating to me because I'm glad you brought that up, that it was the altar of Zeus. Zeus is connected to Satan himself, and it says, uh, I'm reading just some notes uh, on the historical um, um, recovery of that. Over in uh, Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler had Albert Speer, Um, go over and and take care of this. He placed a magnificent podium in the location where the sacrificial brass altar of Zeus stood in the original Pergamum Temple. And in the ancient world, it says, brass and bronze represented power and judgment, adding to the importance of this particular spot. This large brass bowl-like structure was where animals, human babies, and adults were burned as a sacrifice to please Zeus. Zeus. Yes. This is demonic stuff. And they brought it to, to uh, Germany.
2: It's absolutely demonic. And what we need to understand, every one of these churches was affected by what's called the pantheon of the Greek gods. Those Greek gods go back to that ancient Babylonian mystery religion. But Zeus himself is the epitome of Satan himself. When you see an altar to Zeus or, ta- or hear that name Zeus as a god, he is the direct reflection of Satan himself. He's the chief of the gods. He's the head of everything. So... That altar was never allowed to go out. There was Mm. continually smoke burning from that altar to Zeus. So Hitler had that brought to Germany. At first, he had it reconstructed, and and they had an image set up in what was called the the Nuremberg uh, Auditorium. And that's where they would go and have these massive rallies. And he would stand up there right at that altar to Zeus, and everyone would swear their allegiance to him. So again, a type a type of the Antichrist who is to come. These things are consistent throughout human history. We need to understand that.
1: A lot of people don't understand the background of that. Of what, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, go, right. you can see images online right. of Hitler standing before this thing. Yes. Um, and now let's, let's bring it up to speed here. Oh, go ahead. In, well, in, in 2008, yes. didn't Barack Obama yeah. have some, something constructed? Go ahead, tell that story. Yeah, it was
2: interesting. Earlier on in, in his life, Barack Obama made a visit to Berlin, and he went to that museum, and he saw that. Uh, that altar to Zeus uh, in the Pergamum Museum and when he was going to be uh, declared to be the nominee for the Democratic Party in 08 in Denver Colorado he asked specifically that a reconstruction of that be set up in the stadium and that was the backdrop from which he accepted the nomination for the Democratic Party Uh, and that's that's even in the secular media you can see pictures of that anywhere very interesting but if people don't know the history of that it's just like a big cool thing wow that's really nice well look at the history it's not coincidental somebody would select something like that is it Mm.
1: this is interesting Uh, that's a very good question so let me let's let's reason for a minute if you're listening right now going wow I don't remember that is it could it be coincidental that 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 happened that Barack Obama or those who were you know that chose him because he was selected right those who chose him to represent that, the Democrat Party, was that a coincidence, or did they know the background of this uh, altar and, and Zeus and the connection there? Um, I think we understand that most people, it, things don't happen by accident or by mistake or by coincidence. I think we can make, jump to that conclusion. Um, what they were trying to promote and the signal they were trying to send maybe to the world was very important at that time because I think they were trying to change, shift the direction of America as far as a country that had been years ago, one nation under God, following the Judeo-Christian God, and now we're making a shift here because leadership is coming to power that, that wants to take us in another direction. Your thoughts, Kevin?
2: You mean like a reset? <laughs> the great reset, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, again, our enemy is Satan himself. And you go back to the very beginning again, the Tower of Babel. Satan is a counterfeiter. He's simply trying to steal what God has already established. He's trying to recreate it in his image. Um, there's been other false types of Antichrists in the past. Antiochus Epiphanes, early uh, 200 B.C.-ish, and try to establish his, the uh, image to the altar of Zeus in the Holy of Holies in the Temple. Um, and that's a precursor to the abomination of desolation, which is going to come in the midpoint of the Tribulation. But yes... Satan is our enemy. He does have a a plan in a systematic way that he's trying to steal control of this world from God. He can't win, but it doesn't mean he's going to do a lot of damage in the process and not lead a lot of people astray in the process as well. One of the ways we we, uh, get around that, obviously, is by understanding what the Word of God says, but also knowing our history. And that's the one reason I think people are trying to... uh, well, I would say people on the wrong side are trying to deny history or they're trying to change history or yep. simply wipe it away. If you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we're uh, definitely erasing some of uh, American history in our public schools, the universities. We're being taught things that uh, I think our grandparents or great grandparents at least would be shocked to hear what, uh, what's being taught in our public schools. You mentioned our, our history. Um, going back to Revelation chapter 2 now, back to the message to Pergamum, it says, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword, and that would be Jesus, says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold firmly to my name. So that was a uh, commendation to the church. They were holding firmly to the name of Jesus. And it says, And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So again, it's reiterated. Um, Kevin, we've got about three minutes left, a little less before we need to wrap up. Final thoughts on at least uh, Pergamum or the, the letters in Revelation and just encouragement to uh, those who are listening right now to dig in that book.
2: Well, one of the things regarding Antipas there, they, they would have a one day a year where you would have to offer up a pinch of incense and swear allegiance to Caesar. And mm-hmm. you would declare him to be God himself. Wow. Well, that's one of the things we need to be watchful and careful of in this day. That's going to be coming again. Again, you're back to that mark of the beast. Who are you declaring to be your God?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but then again, I'd like to go back to that church at Philadelphia because specifically in chapter 3, he promises, because you have kept the word of my perseverance in verse 10, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour, which mm-hmm. is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Mm. So again, when he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour, not to get too in, in the weeds, but the word in the Greek there is ek, E-K, and that literally means away from, mm. out of. It doesn't mean through. Through would be dia, D-I-A. It doesn't mean in. It, that's E-N. It's from. Mm. He is coming back soon. It could be today to remove his bride, the church. Those were the faithful ones at Philadelphia. He promised that he would take them from that that tribulation that's coming upon the whole world. It's happened once before. We call it the flood. He delivered Noah and his family through that flood. God is the one that closed the door on that ark. Don't let him close that door on you before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior.
1: Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Um, I was reading just in Romans chapter 5 this morning, and that that verse uh, 9, it says, much more than having Having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Amen. I'm glad you pointed that out. That is the difference between through, right, and from. Um, so, Pastor Kevin, uh, where can people find out more about your church in De Pere, Wisconsin?
2: Well, we, on our website at ChristTheRockChurch.org. And we're located at five five six Main Avenue in downtown Pere, Sunday services at nine thirty A.M. But of course you can listen to us on the queue here on Sundays from eleven to noon central time. So right, <laughs>
1: right good plug, right after Empowered yes. by Praise, our worship program Sunday mornings from eight to eleven. You can hear Pastor Kevin teaching through Revelation. Do you know what message is going to be this Sunday? On on here on this the
2: Sunday day? is going to be the church at Philadelphia.
1: Awesome. So you can hear that. If you can listen online at q90fm.com. Thank you guys so much uh, for tuning in today. We're going to wrap up when we come back
0: and let you know who our guests are next week on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Another power-packed
1: week next week. We're blessed to have Jason Jimenez on with us. He's at Stand Strong Ministries. Uh, he was on once with us before. It's going to be great to catch up with him and have him back. Um, also, Gary Kah, Hope For The World. Um, talking about uh, globalism, what's happening worldwide, what's happening, we'll get into the Middle East a little bit more than we did today, and uh, just get some uh, updates from Gary. You'll hear from education expert Alex Newman on Wednesday and on Thursday, Mike Gendron, uh, evangelist and apologist. He will, um, he, he's actually coming to Green Bay a week from, let's see, it's next week, yeah, in two weeks, he's going to be in Green Bay, I think on a Friday night and Saturday at a conference, but Mike Gendron will be on air with us next Thursday. And of course, next Friday is Good Friday. They call it good because of what Jesus accomplished. And we'll be talking about, uh, well, just going through the scriptures on Good Friday, like uh, as we should. Um, So thank you guys again for tuning in. We appreciate your prayers, your support. Uh, God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.